the chip for identification so they can track down an animal anywhere he's at, you'll insert it under the dog's skin, and it's kind of like an identification thing. I mean, it's only a small, logical step until they start putting it in us and our children. And then, before we know it, my God, they'll probably come with the pretext. No, there's nobody there. Where did they, where did they, where did they go? Oh, there was nobody in here. Nobody. What am I talking about? Why is the meter on? To all my friends out there who know what's really going on, to all my conspiracy theorist friends, yes, sometimes it's a curse and not always a blessing to be awake. Awakening is the most liberating, alienating, excruciating, empowering, lonely, confusing, freeing, frightening, expansive journey. If you find yourself struggling as you try to process all this insanity, you're not alone. No one talks about the darkness that accompanies awakening or the grief. Not only grieving the life and illusions you once had, but the realization that almost everything you thought you once knew is a lie. The beliefs you have held, people you've trusted, principles you were taught all lies shattering illusions is rarely an enjoyable experience there is a considerable amount of discomfort that comes with growth and the grieving process does not stop there with these newfound realizations you then find yourself grieving all over again grieving the loss of many relationships with people who just don't get it. Feeling alone, being ridiculed and shamed, not only by the masses, but for many of you, your own very family and friends too. Feel like you no longer have much in common with the people you are surrounded by. Struggling with carrying on Bullshit shallow conversations that lack substance with those who are still fast asleep. Even feeling disconnected from your entire support system because they can't see what you see. Some even grieve the loss of their ignorance because ignorance is bliss and reality is harsh. Awakening can be a lonely road and you will find yourself journey alone there is no way to sugarcoat it awakening to the realities of this world is brutal it will have you running through the entire gamut of human emotions you have to master the art of diving down the darkest of the rabbit holes only to come out and still function in daily life and that's a skill people don't talk about enough some of you are struggling with feeling disconnected from family and friends. It's as though they exist in another dimension. Please know you are not alone. And not only are you not alone, but you also have an entire tribe standing with you. We may be separated by miles, but we are deeply connected in purpose, 
and in spirit. What comes next is a speech by Jim Caviezel, the famous actor who played uh, Jesus Christ in The Passion of Christ. First of all, I'd like to thank uh, Tim Ballard for uh, having me play him in this film. And I'm really pleased that you could see this trailer. This film comes just right at the right moment. Trafficking, like abortion, interrupts God's plan. It is an unnatural evil obstruction of God's path. When God tells us to do something, we should never hesitate. And that's what I've always done. When I came to Hollywood, I tried to do the same thing, whether it was the Passion of the Christ or the Sound of Freedom. I go where He leads me. Playing Jesus, you might say, was controversial. I should have known from the beginning, Mel Gibson said it was going to be very physical. But I was an athlete, I could handle the physical. I thought the hard part would be learning the Aramaic, Hebrew, the Latin. The language turned out to be easy. The physical nearly killed me. I first walked into Jesus' shoes to carry the cross. It felt that it weighed at least 200 pounds. From the very first day, the crowd rushed in around me. The guards hit me with whips. My arm was wedged under the heavy beam when someone yanked the cross in the opposite direction. My muscles wrenched and my shoulders separated. I fell to my knees, dropped the cross, and buried my head in the sand. That take now remains in the movie. In the later part of the film, Jesus experiences a shoulder separation on the cross. I now know what that felt like. Every day I picked up that thing. It was like a penance. It ripped into my shoulder, turning my flesh an angry red. And with each passing hour, it got heavier. But I didn't know the misery was just beginning. Later, when shooting the scourging scenes, there were three cameras surrounding me with mirrors in between. When the guards would hit the metal, plank about a foot and a half away from my back, I would react as if they were landing. Mel Gibson told the guards to wind up and throw the whips like baseballs. So during one of the takes, the whip went beyond the plank, stinging me on my lower back. I thought I had an idea how those blows would feel. I had no idea. When that whip hit me, it ripped the skin right off my back. I tasted two lashes from those whips. But you know, I'm only an actor pretending that this is happening to me. It kind of helps you appreciate what the real thing was like. What Jesus actually gave for us continuously for each one of us. We could have shot that film in a studio, but the performance you saw would not have emerged. That is me up there but it is actually me as an instrument 
Anything good you saw there was the fasting, was the prayer, the daily masses. The performance was truly birthed in pain. And through the pain, isn't that odd? The pain is at times a blessing that it can refocus us, that it can redirect us. The discomfort, the pneumonia, the lung infection, the split shoulder, the raw flesh, and the lightning strike, and the two heart surgeries, including open heart, all forced me into the arms of my God because I had nowhere else to go. That's when I found the performance that I knew I was unable to create. People have asked me, what was it like to play that role? Two words. Unquenchable fire. There is no comfort nor peace. My constant prayer to God was that people would not see me, but only see the Son of Man, Jesus. You know, I told my friend that I, at one point that I didn't think I was the right guy to play Jesus. He looked at me and he goes, You know, Jim, God doesn't always choose the best, but he chose you. What the hell are you going to do about it? <laughs> when you're up there on the cross for five weeks, hour after hour, you think a lot. And as I hung there, I thought back in all the moments all the twists of providence that brought me to the cross. 40,000 people come to Hollywood each year to try their luck. Less than 1% ever work. Why was I, Jim Caviezel, chosen? I remember being 19 years old sitting in a theater in Mount Vernon, Washington. The movie had ended, and out there in the darkness, befriended only by my basketball in the adjacent seat, I had this sensation in my heart that made me think that I'm supposed to be an actor. It was a deep awareness of my vocation. So reluctantly, I went forward. My rational sense intervened. I knew nothing about acting, no agents, no managers. Hell, I can't even memorize to save my life. Yet I had this conviction, this charge that directed me towards becoming an actor and has directed me ever since. Cut to the spring of 2001. I ex inexplicably get a call from Mel Gibson. Now, my agent didn't call me. My manager didn't call. I didn't know Mel Gibson. And I wasn't politicking for the role because nobody knew what was happening. Mel Gibson wants me to play Jesus Christ. He wants the guy with the initials of JC, who just happens to be 33 years of age, to play Jesus Christ. Do you think that's a coincidence? <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, I made a choice. And it was a hard one. Many on my team, friends, acquaintances, encouraged me, many of them, to turn down this movie. 
that I made the choice to trust Jesus. But I didn't play him. He played me. For in our country today, we are only too happy to go with the flow. We want to avoid the hard choices. We have enshrined a freedom now where all choices are equal no matter what the consequences are. But is that true freedom? Pope John Paul II, in 1995, during a visit to Baltimore, said, Freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. Ronald Reagan, in 1964, said, This is a time for, for choosing. And his speech is as relevant today as it was then. Maybe more so. I've made a few amendments of my own. I think it's pretty current now. But I don't think you'll mind. Reagan said, There is not a man alive who would carelessly send another person's son to war. And that is the real issue with this campaign that makes all other problems I've discussed academic. Unless we realize that we're in a war that must be won. Those of us who would trade our freedoms for the soup kitchen of the welfare state have told us that they have a utopian solution of peace without victory. They call their policy accommodation. And they say if we only avoid any direct confrontation with this enemy, he'll forget his evil ways and learn to love us. All those who oppose them are indicted as warmongers. They say we offer simple answers to complex problems. And yet they have the nerve to call it choice. Well, perhaps there is a simple answer. Not an easy answer, but a simple one. That you and I would have the courage to tell our elected officials that we want our national policy based on what we know in our hearts is morally right. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot but buy our security of one nation under God, our freedoms in Christ our Savior from the threat of the devil any longer. By committing an act of immorality so great as saying to millions and millions of little children now caught behind the iron curtain of sex trafficking and abortion, give up your dreams of freedom now. Because in order to save our own skins, we're just too willing to make a deal with your slave masters. And Alexander Hamilton said that any nation which can prefer disgrace to danger is prepared for a master and deserves one. Now let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson in history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is the specter our well-meaning Christian liberal friends refuse to face. Our priests, our pastors, and now, sadly, even our pope that his policy of accommodation is appeasement, and it gives us no choice between peace and war, only between fight and surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we will have to face the final demand, the final ultimatum, and what then? When Satan has told his own, he knows what our answer is going to be. 
He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of his cold war and someday when the time is right to deliver his final ultimatum. Our surrender will be voluntary because you see by them we will have been so weakened from within, spiritually, morally, economically. He believes this because from our side he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price. Or better read than dead, or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees with his mask on than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war. Because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know it and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, well, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our beloved dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace, you say? Well, it's a simple answer after all. That you and I have the courage to tell our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which evil must not advance. And this goes for our beautiful, beloved Constitution as well. Just barely hanging in there by a lifeline. Do we even believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? You know, there's no coincidence why it's in that order. Because without your life, you have no liberty. And without your life, you have no happiness. That all men are created equal, ladies and gentlemen, not born equal. Winston Churchill said that the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move throughout the world, we learn we are spirits, not animals. And he said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. My fellow Americans, you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth. I will sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We're at war now with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose this war, and in so doing lose this great way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those of us that had the most to lose did the least to prevent it from happening. Well, I think it's high time now we ask ourselves if we still even know the freedoms that were intended for us by our founding fathers. Every generation of Americans needs to know that freedom exists not to do what you like, but having the right to do what you ought. My fellow Christians, 
warriors, set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. Be saints. We weren't made to fit in. We were born to stand out. And that is the freedom that I wish for you. Freedom from sin. Freedom from our weaknesses. Freedom from the slavery that sin makes out of all of us. That is the freedom that is worth dying for. Kind of reminds me of the words that Mel Gibson first intoned in his Academy Award-winning film, Braveheart. When he said to his ragtag army, and I say to you tonight, I see before me a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? This man says, no, we'll run and we'll live. Yep, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. For at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you have been willing to trade all the years from this day to that for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that you can take our lives. That you can never take our freedom. Every man dies. Not every man truly lives. You, 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 we must fight for that authentic freedom and live, my friends. By God, we must live. And with the Holy Spirit as your shield and Christ as your sword, may you join St. Michael and all the angels in defending God and sending Lucifer and his henchmen straight right back to hell where they belong. We are headed into the storm of all storms. Yes, the storm is upon us. But not without Jesus, our rudder. And in the words of Reagan, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. God bless you.